Good afternoon, listeners. This is DJ Sheehan coming to you live from KSDJ New Rock 90.7. I hope you guys are all have, uh, having an awesome day. This is it's, it's quite a beautiful weather outside, something around the 50s, 6, probably upper 50s, um, 60s. But uh, yeah, if you're tuning in right now, this is uh, Friday Conversations with myself and Damon. Hey, everybody. Uh, if you've logged on to Facebook, you've seen that our guest today uh, is uh, Byron Knoll. Welcome, Byron. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. Awesome. Uh, it's awesome to have you. Um, Byron is a graduate student in the geography department. We're continuing with our theme from last week is having graduate students come on the show to talk about their research, their travels. Um, we had Tommy from the chemistry department last week, so we're uh, uh, bringing some diversity in this place. Um, but Byron, yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, well, I'm, I'm originally from South Africa and... Um, I guess my claim to fame on campus is that I'm, I'm a master's student with the geography department and I'm trying to help the department and the school get a UAV program going. Um, for those of you who don't know, UAVs basically are drones and so that's, that's kind of what we're work, working on at the moment and uh, before that I, I taught in a couple of interesting places abroad. A UAV program. Well, okay, let's dial it back up. Um, first of all, how'd you end up in South Dakota? Or, yeah, how'd you end up in South Dakota? Yeah, okay, well, that that's a question I get quite a lot. And people ask me, well, why did I choose South Dakota? And uh, Trust I, me, I get that too. <laughs> yeah, and I, I like to say South Dakota kind of chose me. And um, a lot of people may or may not know, and maybe if, you're, if your family farms, you may know, but a lot of South Africans come over every year for, for the summer agricultural season and help out in the farms, ranches, harvesting, things like that. Because, um, you know, there just aren't enough people around South Dakota to do that. Um, so is that is that what you brought you here first? You came over for just a summer and then decided to stay? Well, yeah. Originally, I, I actually came over about 10 years ago, and I, um, I, I had a great time, but my, my intent was to save up for university back in South Africa, and uh, which which I did, but then uh, after university, traveled around a bit and wanted to make some more cash. So I thought, well, why not come back to South Dakota for work? And uh, <laughs> my my boss was so happy to have me back that he begged me to stay and said he would help me with grad school as long as I stayed. So so here I am. <laughs> That's awesome. So uh, you did your undergraduates in South Africa. Where where exactly? Uh, I went to the University of Stellenbosch, which Stellenbosch. I don't expect a lot of people to know, but mm -hmm. it's just outside of Cape Town, which a lot of people do know. Yeah. And uh, I guess the Stellenbosch claim to fame is that it's in the heart of the winelands. So if you oh. like wine, if you like to drink, <laughs> it's the place to go. Do you like wine? I'm guessing, yeah, you do. Since I do, I do. <laughs> so there was a long pause there. Yeah, so <laughs> we'll just say it's it's tough tough being in South Dakota. Um, although I see, you know, the, the winemakers are, are up and coming here. I think things are things are definitely getting better. Yeah. Um, yeah. When we were out west, though, I don't know if you've probably been up northern California, uh, southern Oregon. There's a lot of vineyards there, vineyards. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know California in particular is one of the best places in the world to mm -hmm. uh, to to to, uh, to get wine. Yeah. Probably not here. Um, so you came uh, came here for your uh, for your master's, decided to stay. So what got you into the UAV program or what made you decide that this is something that needs to be introduced um, around here? Well, uh, basically, you know, I'm, I'm passionate about technology and I love the outdoors as well, which can be 
kind of a unique mix, you know. So when I originally started my master's program, I was looking for something which combined both. And, um, you know, UAVs or drones have been the buzzword for a long time. And it, 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 it kind of just seemed like a natural fit. You know, you get, get to be outside a lot, get to work with technology. And especially in, in a state like South Dakota, where agriculture is so important, um, UAVs or drones are going to be a great tool to help farmers increase their, their yield efficiency. And even for uh, things like, you know, checking stock waters, you know, looking, looking to find out where your stock is, where they've gone. Um, and so basically just it, it being a big agricultural tool and South Dakota being a big ag state, I've just felt like it was a great fit. So where are you in that process right now with getting that uh, UAV program started? Well, we're definitely in, in, in the infant stages. Um, you know, the if, if you follow the Board of Regents, which I'm sure many students don't, um, they are keen to have something like that on campus. But, you know... Um, the, the holdup is kind of the FAA rules at the moment. The FAA doesn't really have cut and dried rules surrounding this, which makes it very tough to insure. And as you know, the university is very concerned about liability insurance. So anything you do on campus has got to be insured. So what we're doing, we're basically doing the groundwork at the moment um, without flying UAVs on campus. So we're looking at things like what's the, what is the kind of software you need, what kind of cameras do you need? What kind of drone would you need? Um, and then more specifically, what kind of data can you expect to get from, from drones or from UAVs at the moment? And um, which a lot of students have found interesting and which I'm actually doing next week is uh, we have a little flight simulator set up in the geography department. Something pretty simple, but it's it, it gives students the ability to get some hands-on experience without actually flying anything on campus and upsetting the, uh, the powers that be. Interesting. So is this uh, only a project within the geography department? Are you the main person for this or are other departments involved? Or? Uh, other departments have definitely shown interest, but, um, you know, the geography department uh, supplies or teaches the entire campus GIS, which is basically mapping with satellites, computers. So if you're doing anything with resource management, something like that, you may have been over to our department to learn about GIS mm -hmm. and uh Drones or UAVs really are just another tool for data collection for GIS. So we just kind of see it as, as a natural fit. So we're hoping to be the guys that help train the campus to to, to, to use this, this new and up-and-coming equipment. Um, speaking of uh, spatial data, there is actually a class offered in the math department, uh, spatial statistics. Mm -hmm. And I took that last spring, Damon and I both being from the math department. Um, I know it was a fascinating class just to learn about how to analyze aerial data so maybe somehow the math department could be involved too in the future. Well, I, I hope so because I'm terrible at math and I'm sure there will be some involved. So we will probably be looking for help with that. Um, but like I say, it's, it's really in, in, in the infant stages of the program. So as far as campus goes, we're just trying to find out more from other departments as to what they might be looking for and what sort of uses they can foresee or can imagine a tool like a UAV because I mean we're we're just geographers you know so we don't know <laughs> what's going on in going on with engineering or with mathematics um in the broader aspect of things have you tried getting uh, maybe farmers involved or having have you tried telling them the potential benefits of using drones um, big companies otherwise yes yes I've, I've I've spoken a lot to farmers uh, but like I say more in my in my private capacity you know we're not able to do any flying and uh, under the university unfortunately but uh, being South Dakota it's very easy to find farmers 
and there seems to be a lot a, a lot of enthusiasm around this because farmers are always looking to uh, to save time and save money and really this this will be the perfect tool for that that's int- that's awesome um well let's uh, let's go back a little you said you traveled after your undergraduates for a bit mm-hmm. uh, where'd you go why how did how'd you end up there just just uh, tell us the story man Sure. Well, um, really, it's it started off after high school, I guess. And, um, you know, in, in in the U.S. to grow up, to say, I, I guess a lot of Americans end up going to the military, um, which is a good deal here. But not a lot of South Africans are too keen on that. So a lot of us in, end up traveling. And um, I, I first went and lived in the U.K. for a year after high school. Had an amazing time. Absolutely loved it. And uh, went home to do my undergrad. But um, after spending four years in the same place, I was just bored and wanted to get out more. And um, Asia was or still is uh, trying really hard to attract English teachers. I mean, they'll basically pay for you to go there. And uh, mm-hmm. not having won the lottery myself, I, I needed a way to, to, to fund myself <laughs> to get there. And so <laughs> so um, South Korea has, has a really good program that brings a lot of um, native speaking English or n- native speaking English people over to, uh, to help their schools. So got involved in that, really loved Korea. Um, and I spent about six months there at an elementary school teaching grades, I think three to six. A lot of fun, uh, but I realized it wasn't really the sort of level I was looking to teach at. Mm-hmm. So after about six months, packed my bags and um, I picked a spot that I thought I would like to live in in Thailand. And I just went and I, I started looking for work. You know, and, uh, you know, a lot of people thought I was crazy and I, I guess I was, you know, I just packed my bags and I went and uh, went off to Thailand. And um, if you've been there, you may have heard there's an island called Phuket or yep. um, a lot of Americans will say Phuket. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that, 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 that's how we always knew if an American was new on the island. They said Phuket instead of Phuket. And uh, but yeah, like I said, I just got lucky and um, I was very fortunate to find a position with uh, Prince of Songkla University in, in Phuket. And I ended up spending about a year and a half there. And like I said, I just absolutely loved loved my time there. So there were you teaching geography or what were you? Doing? Well, I, I was teaching English. Uh, you know, that, that, that's mostly what, what they want you for. Um, but then I did have the opportunity to teach uh, communication skills. And basically I hope, helped my Thai students uh, interact or navigate the sort of cultural differences between Westerners and, and Asians. And, um, you know, our, our cultures are very different. And, you know, Thailand being a big, uh, a, a big tourist industry, they, they really need help in interacting with, uh, w- with their guests, you know. So helping with things like how to serve people properly or even how to conduct an interview or a job interview in English. Or, you know, if you're working for a Westerner, you know, whether it be an American or, or somebody British or Australian, you know, what do the, what do they expect from you? And um, I guess the, the biggest challenge was, was teaching time management. And, you know, uh, a, a lot of the time I found is that time in Asia can be quite similar to, to, to time in Africa. You know, in, in, in South Africa, we... We like to say African time. And uh, basically what that means is we may not be on time, but we'll be in time for something. Um, and so, you know, that, that, that was something I was just trying to get across to my students. And like I said, just teach them to interact with, with their guests a little better. Oh, that's so funny. You mentioned that uh, in the Indian subcontinent, we run on something called the Indian time, which yeah. uh, could be 
And if you say 3 p.m., we'd probably get there at 4.30. But, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's what I found uh, like a big culture shock here. Or, I mean, one of the major differences was that when people said 3 p.m., you got there at 2.50, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, military rule is like if you're if you're not 10 minutes late, if you're not 10 minutes early, you're late sort of deal. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think, to be honest, I still have a lo- little bit of trouble with that. And I, <laughs> I probably annoy my professors a little bit. You know, they say 3 o'clock and when they're ready to go at 5 to 3, I'm still not ready. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. So um, South Korea, that's amazing. I had one of my bosses actually work there. I worked mm-hmm. in ESL for a bit. Mm-hmm. And then from South Korea to Thailand. That's correct. And uh, is that after after that, did you go to the Netherlands or was that? Uh, well, um, I, I visited Europe a little bit uh, during my, my undergrad. I, I studied public policy and um, Europe is a little bit more clued up when it comes to public policy than, than South Africa is. Um, so we went over there on, on a class trip. And, you know, we just um, managed to explore a little bit. We spoke a lot to uh, to people in the German government I- especially and, you know, just sort of found out what they had to say about public policy and basically how, how they manage their government. And, you know, we tried to learn some lessons that we could take back to South Africa to help our government be be more efficient. Okay. Amazing. Um, what are some of the big biggest cultural differences? I had this question I just remembered that you had to teach to the – Besides the time management skill, the Thai, Thai kids, what are the cultural differences that you felt or shocks that you felt when you were in East Asia, mm. Southeast Asia? Yeah, well, I, I have to say, you know, um, first of all, I, I must say South Africa is a very, very diverse country culturally. You know, we've, we've got 11 official languages. We've got, you know, four or five main races that are there. And having traveled abroad, I thought, oh, I'm going to integrate easily. It's not going to be a culture shock for me at all. And I was so, so wrong. I could not have been more wrong. I mean, the the culture there, it's it's wonderfully different. It's crazy and it's it's, it's absolutely amazing. You know, you couldn't really get something more different from, from American culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess, you know, besides the time thing, probably the the, the biggest shock to me was their idea of, of space or, or personal space, for example. And, you know, being smaller countries than the US but with relatively high populations there are a lot of people around you all the time so their their idea of privacy is very different to ours you know so in the US you know if i notice one of my colleagues isn't looking too good today i'm not going to go up to them and say hey you're not looking so good what's up you know or hey you're looking terrible today or you're looking sick but in asia totally acceptable they'll call you out right in the middle of everybody else and ask you why are you not looking good today <laughs> That's funny. Did you ever have that happen to you? I did actually. <laughs> um, so, so I know from experience, and you know, um, most of my my students in Thailand were, were were girls. You know, divided up amongst my classes, I probably taught about a hundred students with mm-hmm. seven boys in total. And so, you know, girls they always like to look good, and they were the first ones to tell me if I was having a bad hair day. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, the the thing about personal space, I grew up in Bangladesh mm-hmm. and Cambodia and Thailand yeah. too, yeah. actually. And uh, when I did it, that's definitely one of the major differences mm-hmm. is that over here, and I've been here for four years or five years now, so I've developed this bubble yeah. around me. So every time I go home, I have to readjust, recalibrate. Yeah, yeah, um, but it's tough. <laughs> it's, uh, it's quite the experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, w- with personal space, I have to say that driving was was an issue as well. Um, you know, I, I think they drive on the same side of the road as the U.S. Uh, I can't remember. I've, I've been around so much. Um but, you know, in, in the U.S., if you're going, you know, 30 miles an hour down the road and somebody cuts you off and you have to slam on the brakes, you know, there might be a little bit of road rage involved. But mm-hmm. uh, 
in most Asian countries, you know, if you wait for a reasonable gap, you're going to be waiting a long yeah. time, you know, so you've, you've <laughs> got to push in, you know, you've got to be used to slamming on the brakes and that's, yeah. and you know, it's really funny. You know, I, I spent, like I say, two years there and I, I only saw one incidence of road rage and you know, the, uh, the tires in particular are such chilled out and polite people, you know, it mm. really takes a lot for them to, to get angry. So they don't always voice their feelings as freely as, as we might in the West. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's, it, it can be a bit tough sometimes because, you know, if you're dealing with a student who's having a problem, they may not be comfortable with telling you what the problem is. But, you know, um, American students, and I do appreciate that, mm -hmm. if they're not happy, they'll tell you straight up and you can, and you can, you can do something about it immediately. But um, then with, with, with the culture that it is, you know, in, in Thailand especially, they're, they're not always ready to, to, to voice their opinions or voice their concerns straight off the bat. That's very interesting. Um, I was really young when I grew up in Thailand, so mm -hmm. I can't remember a whole lot. Yeah, but yeah. I definitely remember more of Cambodia. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, it was kind of similar, but obviously there's mm -hmm. there's major differences yeah, too. Yeah. Once you live within the culture, you get to. For sure, for sure. And, you know, I mean, people tend to think of Asia as just one big lump. That's that's all the same. And I know they kind of think the same way about Africa too. And, you know, I can just tell you it's it's really not. You know, every country is so, so different. Um, no, no matter what the size, no matter what the population, you know, mm -hmm. you can't just say Asia because, you know, you have countries like Thailand, countries like Bangladesh, India, and they really are worlds apart. <laughs> that's, uh, that's very true words. Um, in the beginning, you did say that a lot of uh, high school students from South Africa right after they graduated high school, they would go to, uh, they would travel abroad, mm -hmm. which is a very big difference from what a lot of high school students in America do. What are some of the inherent things you learn or like not inherent, but what are the things you learned from traveling? Mm -hmm. um, pieces of advice, maybe top three that you'd want to give of why high school students or when, at least when you're young, mm -hmm. you should travel and gain this experience and do the non-traditional way of learning mm -hmm. or, you know in a sense yeah well you know for me i i generally get upset if people say i'm normal um so if you if you, if you want to break the mold a little if you want to do something outside of the norm you've got to go and travel and simply because you know i'm um, life if, if you look at life life like a book if you stay in your home state stay in your hometown you're just getting one chapter out of the whole book you know and um you know there's 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 really so so much to learn you learn um a lot about a lot about your own culture for example and you know i i didn't love south africa as much as i do now until i left you know um leaving home teaches you to appreciate home and especially in a country like america you guys are so fortunate to have the uh, the services the opportunities the economy that you do and um i think a lot of people grow up not not possibly realizing just how lucky they are you know so traveling gives them a chance to see how lucky they are in the U.S. And it also it, it gives you a chance to question your culture because, I mean, no matter how great you think your country might be or your culture might be, you know, there's always things we can change. There's always things we can do better. And tra traveling gives you that opportunity, you know. So if you'd like to grow as a person, learn more about yourself and learn more about your culture, get out there, get away from it. Go, go somewhere different. Go somewhere as different as possible. Amazing, uh, but very true. I uh, know that myself from traveling. Mm -hmm. um, coming back to here, you decided on geography. Is that how did you decide on why to go to grad school for geography, or what was your passion behind what you do right now? Yeah, well, um, I guess you know besides besides traveling, you know, geography really really fits in well with that. Um, but for, for my undergraduate, you know, I in, in South Africa we we t we tend to do two majors. 
and I did geography and public administration. And so I, it, it's something that I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about both of those. And so, you know, when I was looking for an opportunity to, to go to grad school in South Dakota, um, I know that um, SDSU is, is, is the biggest one in the state, I think. And so it was the, the closest to where I was living. And honestly, I just looked at, at what was available. And there's no public administration department here that I'm aware of. But, but there is a geography department, you know. And I, I went and spoke to uh, Dr. George White. He's the head of the, head of the department. And, you know, I arrived just a couple of days before the start of the semester and, you know, the department was just so helpful in, um, in, in, in getting me into classes if, even though I was late, you know. So that, that really just sealed the deal, you know, people being, people being really helpful on campus and, and the geography department in particular. And how long ago was that that you uh, first started school here? Uh, I think I've been here about, I've, I've been going to school about a year here, although this time I've been in the U.S. about a year and a half. In addition to taking classes, you're also teaching some classes, is that right? Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm a TA or a teaching assistant for, uh, for geography. So um, I teach two 131 labs. It's basically intro to geography because uh, I, I know a lot of students in the U.S. don't take geography at, uh, during high school. And besides that, uh, with, my, with, with my master's program, I'm working with uh, – Air, air photo interpretation, and I'm like I say, I'm helping the university or help, helping my department design some courses around UAV so that we can just get the ball rolling while we're waiting for the red tape to get cleared. Uh, so, what kind of things do you talk about in that UAV class if you don't actually have UAVs mm-hmm. to work with? Yeah, well, you know, the the UAV itself is just one part of 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 a big system, and. Um, and you know, I must say that the the entire class is not is not does not revolve around that. You know, the uh, the, the class revolves around uh, aerial photo interpretation. So we look at what sort of data you can get from aerial vehicles. You know, whether it be a kite, for instance, or a balloon, or you know, an airplane or a drone. And so we look at the kind of data you can get that and how to analyze it. And so. Without being able to fly UAVs on campus, what we're doing is we're looking a lot at, let's say, the kind of um, or the legislation behind uh, UAVs. What's a safe way to operate these things? Uh, we've looked at mission planning so far. You know, how do you plan a successful mission? Um, in in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be working with the uh, the flight simulator. You know, so get some students some safe classroom hands-on experience with UAVs and we'll teach them about, um, like I say, how, how to fly safely and um, also how to, do, how to do a checklist. You know, you've got to do a checklist, make sure your machine's working before you use it. And then, like I say, how to, how to accurately c- collect data, you know, what you can expect from the camera, what, what you can expect from the drone itself, and then how to process that data, you know. So um, Flying the machine itself is only one part of, of a really big system. So there, there is actually a lot we can do without flying, without flying the drone itself. Interesting. Um, so is it right to say that this is, uh, this is your baby, this project? It, de- <laughs> de- definitely. You know, I've, I've thrown a lot of energy and a lot of time into this. And um, you know, I've, I've just come back from a, a UAV conference in Las Vegas, which was absolutely amazing. Uh, you know, I got, got to meet a lot of people and... Uh, People ask me, you know, what, what I thought of Vegas and, you know, just to, just to give you an idea a little bit, jumping back to Asia. And Vegas was great, a lot of fun. But if you want to have a lot of fun, you've got to go to a city like Bangkok. You know, Bangkok, yeah. Bangkok puts <laughs> Las Vegas to shame, I've, I've got to say. You know, great town, great people. But um, if you really want to get crazy, Bangkok's the place. It's, uh, what was the nickname? The Vegas of the East? 
I think uh, Bangkok was named that uh, for a while. I I haven't heard that, but you know, I th- I think honestly, Las Vegas is the Bangkok of the US. <laughs> <laughs> that puts things into perspective yeah. over here, huh? That's interesting. Um, so since you've been since you've been around a lot of these places, mm-hmm. uh, how long is your t- is your time here in South Dakota? Do you see a timeline, or are you working on projects, seeing those co- accomplished, or? What's your goals? Yeah, well, I'm I'm not too sure at the moment, you know. And one thing that traveling has taught me is that if you plan too far ahead, mm-hmm. um, you're probably planning to be disappointed because life never works out how you intended to, you know. So, I mean, I'm not saying don't have a plan. You know, you definitely need to go into whatever you're doing with a plan. But if you plan too far ahead, life's going to throw you a couple curveballs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm looking to graduate sometime probably mid-2017. And at the moment, I would like to stay in the U.S., for a couple of years at least before returning home and possibly find myself working, you know, in some sort of business with precision agriculture or um, my real passion actually is is teaching and I really enjoy working with students, teaching them about UAVs, sharing my knowledge, my experiences. So I guess my, my dream job would be to find work at a college or a university in the U.S. for a couple of years before going home. Awesome. Um, and so if one of these students uh, was, was not sure about what to do after graduating or if they should go into grad school, what would you tell them about why they should go to grad school or why they shouldn't, I guess, mm. either or? Well, I, w- I, would, I would definitely never say don't go to grad school. But if you're unsure, um, you know, I would definitely say maybe take a year or two off, go abroad, go teach some English, go get paid for doing that, go have a lot of fun and then come back. And um, I know a lot of people might worry and say, oh, geez, but I don't know if I can get back into the whole student vibe studying again. And I can tell you, if you're passionate about it, you definitely can. And, um, you know, I, I, I say that because I, I didn't go to university straight after high school. Um, I took about four years off. And, you know, besides being in, in the UK, I went and farmed at home. And so it, t- it took me four years before I was ready to, to study at, at, at university with my undergrad. And, you know, so I was, I was definitely the, the old man around campus. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I definitely felt like being older. I, Just I, more experience, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I felt like I got more out of it, you know. Um, so, so I would say, you know, if you're unsure about grad school, don't write it off. But maybe take a year off. Go abroad. Go see something different. Go, go put yourself to the test and, um, you know, just, just break the mold a little bit. Amazing. Those are, those are really true words. Um, that's awesome because uh, people always ask me why grad school or like why did you decide the program and stuff mm-hmm. like that and yeah. sometimes uh, or uh, sometimes yeah I can't come up with I can explain it to myself but it's hard to explain it in words yeah yeah times. well I, I I can tell you that um, grad school is going to be difficult for you if you're not passionate about what you're doing you know grad school is mm-hmm. not just something you can do because you feel like it there's a lot of work involved there's a lot of research involved there's a lot more time involved than there is for an undergrad. Um, and so, like I, can, like I say, if you're not sure about grad school, you're not sure what your passion is, leave home for a little bit, go find your passion, and then come back and grad school will fall into place then. And that, that that's kind of what I did, you know. Like I, I finished my undergrad and I still wasn't sure what my passion was. And so I thought, well, career is going to pay me to go over there, so let's go check it out. And yeah. I discovered that I actually love teaching, you know. So... I've, I, I think I found my passion with, with teaching and geography. That's awesome. And, um, yeah, they, I, I can definitely attest to that in the terms of uh, passions of learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so you said uh, maybe you're a couple family members, maybe your mom's tuning in on this? I, I hope she is. So uh, <laughs> ho- 
hi mom if you're listening i know i've got friends back in south africa another friend in mozambique who's listening um so <laughs> in mozambique in mozambique oh, yeah lawrence awesome. lawrence if you're listening hi and uh Diervold back in south africa if you're listening too and uh i hope chalet down in california is listening as well Awesome. Well, we're sending love from the basement of the Union all the way to Mozambique, <laughs> <laughs> uh, to South Africa, uh, mm-hmm. and to California, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I say, I've got South African friends all over the place. That's and, awesome. Uh, so we, we really just are all over the show. Awesome. Well, listeners, there you have it. This was, uh, you're, you're, you're hearing from Byron, who's a graduate student in uh, the geography department here at SDSU. We talked about traveling, we talked about teaching, we talked about drones. I never knew all those three could come together um, <laughs> and intersect, but this was uh, this was quite amazing. Thank you so much, Byron. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. It's been absolutely amazing to be here.